Movie Podcast, where we review horror movies directed by women. Women! Uh, <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. I'm tired. <laughs> I've, been in, I've been in quarantine a really long time. <laughs> but these movies prove that the female of the species is more deadly than the male. I'm your co-host, Rachel, and joining me is one of my favorite ladies, the one and only Ariel. Hey. Hey, girl. How are you doing? You know, I'm getting by. Yeah, I like there's a, a note of hope in your voice. <laughs> I mean, I know you well enough to know it's a lie, but I appreciate the effort. <laughs> I'm trying here. You know? <laughs> but seriously, how are you doing? You said you were getting some very text, sexy text messages. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm doing okay. Just, you know, pervy sales texts, I guess. Mm. But it's okay. I'm moving on. You got it. You you get on lists, right? Yeah. Whenever I go on Facebook, it's always trying to sell me yarn or humiliating cat t-shirts. <laughs> that sounds right. So how how, how did you get on this? Oh, I'm being called out here. <laughs> I have no idea. Mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm, no idea. Mm-hmm, but it's mm-hmm. it's disturbing. Uh-huh. <laughs> Because they always come in at like weird times, you know, like 3 a.m. or something. So you're getting the you up of creepy sales texts? <laughs> <laughs> Are you getting like a booty call text No, messages? that would be so much better. <laughs> right, right. Well, aside from sexy text, sounds like doing okay? Yeah, I'm doing okay. All right, good, good. Me too. All right. Today on the show, we are going to be reviewing another brand new movie. So this one is She Dies Tomorrow, directed by Amy Simons. And I'm very excited to talk about this because I am a Simons fan. So this will be a fun conversation. But before we go too far ahead, we need to talk about our spoiler policy. Ariel, can you please let our listeners know what our spoiler policy is? Okay, so our spoiler policy is pretty much that we're going to spoil everything. We're going to try really hard to give you guys some general ideas of the movie before we get into really spoilery things. But this movie in particular is going to be very hard to talk about without spoiling things. So just be forewarned. Yeah, definitely. So let me tell you a little bit about Amy as well as the movie itself. So Amy Simons is a writer, director, producer, and actor. So basically, she does it all. She's originally from Florida, where she attended college. As a kid, she, you know, like some people say, like, they always wanted to be a filmmaker. That was not the case for her. She wasn't really interested in being a filmmaker. She wanted to be a cheerleader slash doctor. Oh, interesting. (laughs) (laughs) But she got interested in filmmaking by the time she reached college, and she knew at that point that she really wanted to work in films. At the same time, she didn't major in film studies. She did everything that she could to be on set. So she was like studying, I think, uh, art history or something like that. I don't know. She was some history she was studying, but she would volunteer to work on anything. She held boom mics. She did costume design. She occasionally held a camera. Whatever they needed to do, she would do it just so she could make sure that she was on set and learning as much as she could about filmmaking as possible, both during her time at Florida State and when she was briefly at NYU. Through this process, she was introduced to a lot of people who would go on to be very successful filmmakers, like Barry Jenkins, who directed Moonlight, or David Robert Mitchell, who directed It Follows, which is amazing. Yes. And kind of has, this movie has shades of It Follows, actually. I would say that that's probably, if not an influence, definitely something that I thought of while we were watching it. 
this basically taught her a ton about all aspects of filmmaking. So eventually when she moved to Los Angeles, she was able to transition into producing and directing short films, including one that she did with Jenkins, which went on to be nominated for a Spirit Award. After that, she did a lot more acting. She was in various films and her performance in A Horrible Way to Die, which was directed by Adam Wingard, who shows up in this movie as the dune buggy guy. And, oh, okay. Yeah. Who also directed The Guest and the Death Note movie and a handful of other things. Uh, uh, You're Next. Oh, wow. Yeah. Which she also started. And her role in his movie, A Horrible Way to Die, won her the Best Actress Award at Fantastic Fest in 2010. Oh, that's super impressive. Yeah. Two years later, in 2012, Simons went on to make her feature film directorial debut with The Sun Don't Shine, which I have not seen. But now that I know about this, I can't believe I missed it and I need to see this. So I have a new priority. (laughs) (laughs) So this actually stars Katie Lynn Scheel, who was the main character in this, as well as Kentucky Oddly, who was sort of her love interest in She Dies Tomorrow. Basically, there's only like one or two people in this movie that she has not worked with previously, either in one of her films or just starred alongside or in the case of Wingard was directed by. All right. So Sun Don't Shine is a thriller starring those people. And it's about a couple driving around Florida with something or someone perhaps in the trunk of their car. Oh, I need to see that immediately. Right? That sounds it's really cool. supposed to be really great. It premiered at South by Southwest and it got rave reviews. The one we're talking about now is actually her follow-up to this. But in the meantime, in 2014, along with Lodge Kerrigan, she created, co-wrote, and co-directed The Girlfriend Experience, a series for stars based on the Steven Soderbergh movie, which I'm sure I've told you about because I was completely obsessed with it. (laughs) Yes, you have. (laughs) Yes. It's an anthology series about high-end sex workers. Each season has a different person or people that you're following, and it's absolutely fascinating. So her and Kerrigan would swap episodes, so every other episode she would direct. And you can definitely see, because it's Soderbergh, right? There is definitely like an almost clinical view that that the camera sort of takes of its subjects. And I could definitely sense some of that in this movie, which we'll get into. Season three of Girlfriend Experience is going to premiere this year. Who knows? With COVID, there is not an exact date, but it was scheduled to, to premiere sometime this year. And she continues to act and direct. She directed two episodes of Atlanta recently, and... She starred in the remake of Pet Cemetery, Ariel's, oh, really? Ariel's favorite movie. <laughs> Wait, who was she in Pet Cemetery? She Cemetery? is the wife. She's oh, Rachel. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. And the reason I bring up that specifically is not just because it's horror and we love <laughs> horror, but it's actually the role that made She Dies Tomorrow possible at all. So let me explain that. Cliffhanger. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So Simon's had a very, very clear idea of the movie that she wanted to make. When she came up with this idea, she initially talked to people to fund it, but it was pretty clear right away that they were just not on the same page. Their perspective when she would talk about the film definitely was more marketing focused. And she knew that she wanted to do something much more experimental, more art, more art house, something that really defied genre categorization, which makes it tricky to market. So ultimately, she decided, screw it. I'm not going to go through financing. She's going to pay for it herself. So she took her check from Pet Cemetery and made this movie. Oh, wow. 
Yeah, she did it secretly, kind of off undercover until she released it. So she saw this opportunity because she was self-financing to like really be able to challenge herself. So she took all restrictions off, did exactly what she wanted to do. All of her decisions were based on what her gut instinct and what she wanted to do and that what would allow her to really deepen her knowledge of working with the camera, editing, sound, all that. It was it was meant to be her story the way she wanted to tell it but also an opportunity for her to grow as a filmmaker and the film itself was largely shot in her own home so amy's house that's actually amy's house wow is is amy supposed to be kind of a stand-in for the director i kind of feel like she is there's a mix if you look at the cast of people whose names are their own names mm-hmm. and people who aren't but i do think it's interesting that the amy character is named amy and it's the movie's not obviously not autobiographical, but there are definitely things from her life. For instance, she was kind of inspired by this when she bought this house and she was like, you know, what makes a home a home? Why am I not connecting or feeling a very specific feeling for this house? And some of that you see with the Amy character when she's just sort of wandering around the house, touching it, exploring it, looking at it. A lot of that came from Amy's personal experience. Oh, that's interesting. I feel like that kind of makes it make more sense, too. Yeah. Well, okay, let me tell you a little bit more, which I think okay. will definitely <laughs> put some context for this movie for you. So, like I said, a lot of this comes from her own personal experience in terms of buying the house. But it also came as a result of some reflection she was having on the fact that she was going through this like period of really intense anxiety. Her father had passed away. She had bought this new house. She was kind of processing ideas around mortality and she found that she had been talking about her anxiety with all the people in her life so much that it had almost become contagious her anxiety was spreading to the people around her and that's essentially what sparked the idea of an ideological contagion which is sort of the core of this movie right so so yeah that's the original sort of origin of this film And the movie was set to premiere at South by Southwest this year. But unfortunately, as we know, the festival was canceled. Yeah, that's a bummer for her. Yeah. So instead, it's getting its premiere at Drive-In Theaters, which is a really fun, bizarre trend this year. Ever since The (laughs) Wretched just absolutely, I mean, relatively absolutely crushed the the box office. was like number one for several weeks, this little tiny VOD. (laughs) Right. Um, And so this one is doing the same thing. So it is going to be a drive-in starting on July 31st, and it is on video on demand starting on August 7th. So hopefully you will get a chance to see that very soon, either in your car or in your home. Wow, I haven't been to the drive-in in so many years. I used to go a lot as a kid with my family. You've never been? I've never been to a drive-in. And I really want to go to one. There's one in San Jose, but I'm nervous that I'm going to have to pee. (laughs) 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 And what do you do if you don't want to pee at a movie theater? Like, you know? Bring a bottle, man. Dude, <laughs> no. It'll spice up your relationship. <laughs> now I know where you're getting those text messages. <laughs> oh man, but you sh- you should do it at some point, even when all of this is over and you can yeah. Keep I mean, I definitely because it's definitely so much fun. Do it. I mean, it sounds fun. I-, I I want to go to a drive-in. Yeah, and now is the time to do it. But again, it's just the pee problem. Like I feel like advantage, dude. You know what I mean? Like very true. Pandemic advantage, dude, for peeing. <laughs> we have to go into a porta body. 
We have Ugh. to sit on things or hover above things, and right, and that's disgusting in the best of circumstances. Right, I don't, so. I don't use a porta potty when there is not a global pandemic. <laughs> I sure as hell am not going to go get COVID off a toilet seat. Right. <laughs> I mean, I understand that's not how it works, but still. <laughs> but it feels like it could be, you know. Mm-hmm. So yeah, for those of people who don't have pee problems or pee anxiety, it will be in drive-ins. This has not been the best infomercial for their drive-in rollout. I apologize in in not in advance. I apologize now. I actually think that this movie could be pretty interesting in a drive-in too, because yeah. you're you're enclosed in this space watching it, but you're like around all these other people, but so separated from them too. Right. That's a really good point. That isolation, that built-in yeah. isolation, is mm-hmm. really interesting. Very cool. All right. Well, first, you have the synopsis for this. Tell everybody what this movie is about. Sure. So this movie is a little hard to synopsize, I think, without it just being real quick. So I'm going to try my best here. So like we said, our main character is Amy, who has struggled with alcoholism and is relapsing and also struggling with kind of emotional turmoil. In distress, she calls her friend Jane, who comes over to sort of comfort and give her support. But Amy's drunk and keeps talking about how she knows that she's going to die tomorrow. So her friend Jane gets pretty frustrated with her and ends up leaving. But then Jane starts thinking that she's also going to die tomorrow. Jane, in an effort to kind of feel less alone, ends up going to her brother's house for her sister-in-law's birthday party, where her kind of odd and erratic behavior rubs her sister-in-law all wrong. And then from what we can see... After that, everybody that Jane comes in contact with, both at this party and other places that she goes, come convinced that they are also going to die tomorrow. And we're also seeing a past timeline with Amy meeting a new guy and and forming a relationship with him. And then we sort of see how it ends after that. Mm -hmm. That's kind of what I got. Yeah, I think that's great. I think that pretty much nailed it. Okay, cool. (laughs) All right, cool. So tell me what you liked about this movie. Yeah, so I actually really like this movie. Awesome. I think it's super interesting. Yeah. I was a little unsure in the beginning. Yeah. Because it is a slow, it has kind of a slow meditative pace to it. Mm-hmm. And I didn't fully understand what was going on at, in like the first maybe 15 or 20 minutes. But the movie grew on me more and more as I got through it. I think it's kind of this weird, beautiful take on like that existential fear of death. Yeah. And it also just kind of has this interesting humanity to it where what we're seeing basically are kind of almost like vignettes of different conversations people are having. And there's so much realism to it. People having these interesting, frank conversations that I found myself kind of like really lost in the movie. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. But I think it is a little bit challenging too. Yes. Maybe for your, like if you're coming into this thinking that you're going to get a traditional horror movie, this movie is not for you. It's definitely more indie art house and, and a bit of a slower movie. I mean, I feel like this is very much a deconstructed horror movie, if that makes any sense. When you're watching a horror movie, there is some source of the horror. But no matter what that source is, at the end of the day, the root of the fear comes down to death, right? And so this sort of skips all of the vehicle for the fear and goes straight to so that the the source of the horror is the fear itself of death that makes sense yeah that absolutely makes sense because you're i mean because you're right there's no 
we're never given kind of a reason for why this is happening to people. There's nothing you can like point to that this is the monster or the bad guy or whatever. It's just everybody living with this fear and anxiety. Right. When there is no vehicle for the fear or or cause of the fear, there's nothing to fight against. There's no trying to, you know, how do you trick Jason? How do you you know, get ahead of the it follows monster. When the fear is fear itself, like you are left to the situation where you either collapse under the fear or you accept and embrace the fear. It becomes about a contemplation on fear as opposed to a standard horror movie where you're trying to outrun whatever it is that's coming to get you. Which is not for everyone, but very interesting. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. It's a really interesting film. I think for people who like very contemplative, thought-provoking horror, because they've seen a lot of horror and they need something different, this is very fresh. But it is it it requires you to engage. We talked a little bit about this with, was it The Other Lamb? Where it's not a movie where you can kind of, because you have to do so much of the interpretation of that main character, where you can't just sort of passively watch it. You have to be like, okay. On, on one hand, you kind of have to just like go with it, especially in the early parts where it's just, there's no dialogue, essentially. And you're just kind of watching this person behave very oddly. But then after that, like for you to actually come away with anything from this movie, I think you have to be very present as you're watching it. And whether you are or not is going to greatly affect how you end up feeling about this movie. Yeah. It's not a casual watch at all. No, 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 no. But at the same time, this it's also very funny. <laughs> yeah, it's surprisingly it funny for something that is otherwise very I'm trying to think of a, a an example. It's a mood piece to for most of the movie. The introduction of the Jane character for me was a turning point of the movie. I was not really that engaged with the Amy character because she is sort of dreamy and just sort of like walking around her house, touching the walls. I mean, it's interesting visually, but I wasn't engaged in the way that I was with the Jane character. And I think a big part of that is the actress, Jane Adams. I love. Yes. She has this quirky sensibility and sense of timing and oddness that I find extremely endearing. So that when she's talking about like, I'm going to die tomorrow and like being super weird and making the party super uncomfortable at no point was I not completely invested and on her side. Yeah. I mean, that's the first thing in my notes is how much I love Jane Adams. I mean, she's such a good actress and so entertaining. I mean, she's been in a million things. I remember her very clearly from when she was on Frasier and she played such an odd character. But here, I totally agree with you. I wasn't that invested in Amy, like her story. Until she got into her dune buggy phase. Then I was like kind of into that. (laughs) Yes. And then when she started talking about what she wanted to do with her body after she died and stuff too, I got a little more invested. But Jane Addams is... I think what really makes this movie, I mean, all the actors do a terrific job, but there's something about, like you were saying, the weird kind of quirky way that she is, the way that she talks to people that I found just, I found her completely magnetic. Like I just wanted to watch more of what was happening with her. And the fact that we do follow her for a good chunk of the movie, I think really made it much more enjoyable for me. Yeah, I agree. I think the Amy character is essential because ultimately we come away from each of the characters with like a different sort of outcome in response to what has happened to them. But 
as far as pure entertainment value, Jane was it for me. Yes. Because she walks that line that this movie is walking between truly dark content and also this subversive humor. I think she achieves it better than anyone else. And I just love her. I think I just love her. Yeah. <laughs> I, that, I totally it doesn't, agree with you. It does, she just has a, you know, like some people have a certain charisma or they've cornered the market on some particular thing. She is one of those people for me. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and one of the things that I think makes this movie so smart and makes you come away like feeling certain things about it mm-hmm. is that we kind of, like I was saying, we go from sort of vignette to vignette and everywhere that we stop, there are just these really interesting conversations that people have. And some of it's kind of mundane, but it's a lot of times what gets glossed over in a movie. Right. So for instance, mortality strips that shit away. Yeah. Yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. The talk between Amy and Jane when Amy's like laying down on the floor and she keeps talking about dying and what she wants Jane to do with her body, how she wants her to be like skinned and turned into a leather jacket. (laughs) That's a new one. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's a new one. (laughs) I mean, that that's so interesting because especially in the U.S., we're so averse to talking about death. Yes. To talking about what you want to have happen with your body, what you would want out of some kind of memorial service. We don't really talk about it at all. And I think that in some ways makes death so much harder. So it's interesting to hear people being so upfront about that. The uncomfortable dinner party scene. (laughs) I mean, even just the talk about like dolphin sex. It's so goofy, but also like I've had weird talks like that at parties. Never. I would never have a strange (laughs) conversation like that. You would be the one. (laughs) I know. I feel so (laughs) indicted by this movie. (laughs) But it feels super real. And the acting is so solid that they really felt like even though we didn't get to know anybody that well, you know, we don't know very much about any of their lives. They right. felt like genuine, authentic, real people. There's just so many interesting conversations. One of my favorite ones actually is one of the flashback scenes with Amy where she has just started dating this guy and they're laying on her bed talking and they have like a Whoa. really Whoa, yeah, short... this is an intense scene. Yeah, it's a very, sh- it's a short scene, but a very frank discussion about abortion. And you almost never see that in movies. And what I think is so great about it is that even though it doesn't last that long, it's a very nuanced discussion because the way she talks about it, you can tell there's some conflicting feelings, even a little sadness, but she's also kind of resolute in her decision. Like she talks about there being no regrets. And I think that a lot of times it's not handled very well in TV and movies. Well, I don't think you're allowed to feel ambivalent. You have to either be, I'm glad I made this decision or I'm, I regret it. It's the worst thing I ever did. Like these things are on a spectrum, y'all. Yeah. Yeah. And it's okay to feel different about it at different points in your life. Like all of these feelings are okay. And I think that the way it's just kind of casually put into the movie and, and dealt with is really beautiful and Mm -hmm. moving. But also very challenging. Yes. Like, it's not an easy scene to watch. Like, I'm kind of like, okay, this is a big deal, this conversation. But it's still like, because it's cringy, because it's so freaking raw to have that kind of conversation. Right. And she has it with somebody that she barely knows, too. Right. And that's got to be really tough. 
But you're right. Like, that's just not a conversation you ever see in that particular way. No. And also uh, later in the movie, there is the couple that we first meet at the sister's sister-in-law's birthday party. And then we kind of follow them for a while and they go to the hospital to essentially. This is, this, I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. Essentially by themselves, take his father off of life support. And then they, you know, he says there, and I think again in the car that he should have done it a long time ago, you know, like he was holding out hope maybe that something would change or that he would get better, but clearly that's not true. And he was maybe doing it more for himself than for his father. I mean, obviously you shouldn't just go ripping stuff out of somebody that's crazy, but I think the emotions there are really real. And Mm -hmm. again, stuff that we just don't talk about. Right. I mean, I love the way that each of these people have totally different responses to being faced with their mortality. You know, for Amy, it's liberating. Like she can have a drink. She can do whatever she wants. She can, it, she's free in some ways freed by it. Jane just wants to finally get that validation and be believed and not be treated like as you see the dynamic that she has with her family kind of as a hysterical and you see her find that peace when somebody actually believes her. And then for Brian, it's regrets. He he looks back at his life and he he has regrets of things that he's done, like letting his father ling on, linger on life support. And Tilly, her whole thing is just a desire to connect with people. And at the end of her life being like, did I connect with people? And maybe feeling like she didn't. And I think these are all very valid ways to feel when facing your mortality. But the movie goes out of its way to really show you how complicated that it, that can be. Yeah, and it, it does such a good job because... Because like I was saying, all of these conversations just feel really genuine and really real. Mm -hmm. And I think it speaks to the actors, but really speaks to the director that she was able to get those performances out of them and to Mm -hmm. film it in such a way that it really feels like you're just watching somebody, these like little moments in people's lives. You're really just like stepping in. It's not overproduced, you know? She switches back and forth between subjectivity and objectivity. So like sometimes particularly in these moments with the flashing blue and red lights, which we definitely should talk about. You're very focused in and present with the character. And then the whole thing will switch and the camera steps back. And suddenly you start viewing these characters through the perspective of the other people around them. And it's a little disorienting and interesting, but it's also extremely intentional. So I was reading an interview with Simons and she wanted to explore both the way anxiety feels and how it will lead you to behave, but also what anxiety looks like to outside parties. That's interesting. So I hadn't thought about that. So that's why we have these sort of dueling perspectives throughout the film that because you as a viewer kind of want to go with wherever the characters are going, it feels very abrupt to suddenly be pulled back out of it and have this objective view. But also I just think it's really interesting. But it's another way that the movie is kind of challenging. But I like it, personally. Yeah, Um, I do, too. Also, can we talk about the red and blue lights? Do you have any thoughts on that? The lights look amazing, and it gives you a very otherworldly feel, you know? They're very disorienting. And she really, especially with the Amy scenes, which were the ones that I feel are the most, like, dreamlike, the most uh, surrealistic, are all of the Amy scenes. She's sort of inscrutable, as opposed to Jane, who is just like... Like right verbal <laughs> vomit like all whatever she is feeling whatever she's thinking it's falling out of her mouth and 
Whereas the Amy character, she's talking about what she's feeling. You can barely hear her. She's whispering. She's so not expressive. So it's in these scenes where she really plays a lot with sort of the surrealistic lighting. And there's a part where there's an extended period where it's just flashing red and blue, red and blue, red and blue. And it makes her look like two totally different people, which I don't totally understand the significance of this but i did think it was interesting that the two colors they chose obviously i mean they're both primary colors or opposite whatever but they're also the colors of a siren which to me i was like okay those are those look like an ambulance lights to a certain degree which for some people a lot of people that's like the final lighting that they experience right yeah that's actually really profound i hadn't thought about it that way I mean, I don't know. This could be me just fully overthinking it. No, but, but it doesn't matter. The symbolism is for you to interpret. You that's know? true. It represents these sort of like internal moments where they're ha coming to this realization of their mortality. And so you, it, like I said, it's one of those switching from objective to subjective. A lot of it has to do with light. It also just sort of visually indicates that whatever contagion is now taking effect. But with Amy in particular, we spend so much time with these these flashing lights that it just invites you to kind of try to understand or interpret it and that was that was where I where I went with it because I was like this looks like the flashing lights of an ambulance there's an interesting idea about a movie that is about like the fear of death that like this lighting would, would yeah I mean I think up. that makes perfect sense I really enjoyed this movie in a lot of ways even though it is really challenging and I think one of the things that make this really stick with people and have people really like it is that you can interpret so much of this in different ways. One of the things that I was thinking about is, so this movie in, in a lot of ways is about anxiety, fear of death, emotions being contagious, even sort of the isolation of like modern society. And mm -hmm. it's very clearly LA, even though I don't know that they ever tell you that in the movie, just from the the houses and everything that you see it's like instantly you know it's LA yeah which can be a very isolating city to be in yes but also in this time of a pandemic really made me think about that too uh, in so many of these horror movies that we've been watching they read really differently when you think about it in that light I mean I think most of us are fearing death either for ourselves right. or our loved ones we're in the midst of our own existential crisis exactly and whereas normally so movies much are where we go to kind of like dip our toe in that process it and safely step away that's not really an option right now we are living the existential crisis exactly yeah, so I just think that's that's so interesting because it ke it keeps coming up, you know, that we seeing our current situation in these horror movies that obviously didn't intend that when they were made. It'll be interesting to see all of the movies that are made yeah. either during this or shortly after how effectively they can tap into these feelings or if it has to be incidental. Cuz like a friend of mine shot a movie, is shooting a movie this Sunday from home. Oh, interesting. That is like meant to take place during the pandemic there's uh something coming to shutter later this month that is something that was shot entirely from home wow yeah so there's going to be a batch of these movies and i'm wondering how we'll feel about those and if they will really capture this perfectly like really nail it or if it's something where we just can read into these other movies sea fever this pretty much almost all of them i mean maybe not the other land but a lot of these definitely resonate in a particular way 
dark times. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So wait, can I talk about one more thing? Oh, absolutely. Before we move into con. Yes, 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 yes. I really liked like, I think you mentioned this earlier about how there are these moments of levity and humor kind of sprinkled throughout the movie. And one of my favorites is Jane Addams scene with the doctor at the mm. ER. Mm, Do you remember mm-hmm. that scene? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, cause the thing, this is the genius of Jane Adams. Like it should be the most uncomfortable scene, but I'm just like, <laughs> yes. like keep going, keep dialogue, <laughs> keep monologuing. I want to hear all the crazy shit that's in your head because I totally identify when she says it. I'm like, yes, this is what I'm afraid of. Someone coming in in the middle of the night and then they're definitely going to do this and they're going to do that. And, uh. Yeah. She is great. Yeah, she's so good. And one of my favorite parts is all of a sudden he's caught this, you know, thinking that he's going to die tomorrow. They're going to maybe have a sex scene of some kind. And he's like leaning over her in between her legs. And then he's like, oh, no, I got to get home to my wife. And he runs out and she's just like sprawled on the table with her legs <laughs> up. And she just lays there while the camera like pans back. That made me laugh a lot. Yeah, she's great. She's mm-hmm. so. Did you ever see Hung? No, I haven't. It's not that good, but she's great in it. Because she's his pimp. Oh, wow. I might have to check it out just to see her be a pimp. (laughs) That's the reason to watch it. The rest of it is fine, but she's pretty great. (laughs) Awesome. Okay, so I want to talk about the end of this movie. So this is where, like, the hard spoilers come in. Do peace, peace, peace out if if, uh, spoilers are not your jish. Um... But I feel like we have to talk about it as we're transitioning into cons because it, to me, is both a pro and a con. I feel very of two minds about the ending, and I'm I'm hoping to have some resolution, or maybe not. Who cares? Do I need resolution? I don't think so. <laughs> but I feel like we have to talk about the end, and I don't want to spoil it for anybody out there. So, bye-bye. Uh, come back when you've watched the movie. Um, <laughs> or stay if you don't care about spoilers. Some people don't. Matilda doesn't. She likes spoilers. She wants me to tell the end of movies. I tell her the end of movies all the time. And she likes Yeah, it. my younger brother is that way. He Very always strange. wants to know the end. I don't Very get strange. it. <laughs> I don't either. I don't. I don't like it. Okay. So the end is very ambiguous. There, I, I mean, did you feel or did you feel like it was definitive? Because I didn't. Um, like, I don't know that you get an answer. Like, do they actually die? And if they do or don't, does it even really matter, you know? Yeah. Um, no, I do think it is really ambiguous. I don't think you understand if they're slowly starting to die, like with Jane's injury on her arm. Is this self-inflicted stuff that they're not completely aware of? What exactly happens? I mean, we know person Amy was dating, that he died. But, like, we don't – we didn't see any of that either. Right. And it appears that he killed himself. It does. So it was a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah, exactly. And so that's the thing. It's like, we don't know. But I mean, isn't the takeaway from this movie that they all die eventually? <laughs> you know what I mean? Whether it I happens so, yeah. tomorrow. Like, this movie is about the inevitability of mortality. So, like, my takeaway was sort of like, it doesn't really matter if they die tomorrow. That's not the point. It's more about, like, what do you do in the face of mortality? You know, do you embrace the moment? Do you fight it? Do you lash out? Do you do end it all on your own terms? I think that's more important. I do thematically think like, yes, this is the perfect ending to this movie. But as someone who wants to be entertained, <laughs> <laughs> 
I feel a little more conflicted about it because it's a little frustrating that it's so in- inconclusive. I think part of me, as someone who loves mysteries, wants a su- wants a solution. I need Jessica Fletcher to step in and tell me if they died or not. I don't know. I think in a movie like this, so much of what you're investing in is like the feeling of it. And for that, leaving it ambiguous really does make sense. But it is a challenge. I think it makes a difference if an ambiguous ending feels like they didn't know how to end it versus there is a purpose to the ambiguity. I think it was intentional here. Yeah, absolutely. I do too. Simons talks about how in making a film about anxiety, she kind of wanted to drive home the idea that there is no closure with anxiety. It just sort of waxes and wanes it dissipates spans and contracts and you know like you have these moments of very extreme anxiety and then you'll just kind of come out of it and so i think to that end they she ended the movie on that note of like there isn't really it doesn't matter what the answer is yeah because it's about the experience not the result so like yeah so i feel like of two minds a part of me wanted to know like were they going to die? And it was it going to be some weird thing where they killed themselves? Or was it going to be a situation where they explode? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> what's going to happen? But I think that's just not the kind of movie that this is. And so that, when I say it, it's kind of in the pros and cons, it's more for the viewer. How do you feel about a super unambiguous ending? Do you need resolution? Do you need the comfort of an ending of some kind or can you be left with a movie kind of in a state of unanswered contemplation yeah can you live with the uncertainty of that and if you can then i think that's a pro for this movie if you can't it's going to be a con there's another interpretation of this that i had which is if we are under the assumption that they all do die that whatever this curse is or contagion is it is actually lethal. what else is death but a sudden end you i don't want to go i'm not ready to go or i'm ready to go cut to black is that actually a definitive ending maybe the credits rolling were the answer to the question but i feel like it's very much choose your own adventure <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> what are some things maybe that didn't work for you Okay, so I just have a few things that didn't work for me as well. This movie has some really authentic acting. All the characters feel really believable. All their emotions make sense to me. But in the very first scene, we get just a picture, like a close-up of Amy's eyes, and then we cut to this guy having an outburst and throwing stuff around. I don't think he acted it very well. I feel bad saying that. Literally everybody almost across the board is so solid and so good that when I first saw it, I was like, oh, is it going to be that kind of a movie? I mean, I hate saying that because it totally isn't. But it's this one scene. It doesn't last very long. But I I, I didn't believe him, you know, being so upset that he's like smashing things. I just didn't believe it. (laughs) They were very gentle talkers, (laughs) which I get. That's somebody's house, you know. Yeah, (laughs) but you just got to lean into it, I think, you know. And it's weird because throughout the rest of the movie, he's great. Right. Yeah. That's what's so odd about it. I think it's because he's restrained. Yeah. In a way that doesn't allow you to be like, oh, this is someone who's like really going through an existential crisis. It feels like somebody acting like they're going through an existential crisis because they can't commit. Yeah. And it just kind of sticks out like a, a sore thumb. And it's a bummer that it's the first thing you see. 
Yeah. And so that's why I think it's, it's unfortunate that they didn't maybe refilm that because it doesn't kind of set you off on a great footing, you know, for like your expectations of what the movie's going to be like, which is unfair because the rest of the movie is so fantastic in so many ways. The other thing, so early in the movie, we spent a lot of time with Amy where, like you were saying, she's just kind of wandering around her house, meandering, looking at things, but she also is like molesting the walls <laughs> and like the yeah. wood floors. And I don't think that I totally got exactly what was going on there. I don't think it's super clear what kind of meaning we're supposed to take from that. I mean, does it work in con- in conjunction with the scene where they're talking about uh, the abortion where she's just like, I wouldn't be- have been able to buy this house? And kind of like, okay, here I am at the end of my life. And this is what I have. Yeah. How do I feel about this? Trying to like engage. This is me also interpreting from what Simmet's talked about. So maybe it's, I don't know that it necessarily shows up on screen. For me, it just, it, in watching it, like as mm-hmm. I was watching it, it wasn't super clear what I was supposed to be getting out of. With context, I, I agree that there's something to that. Although but... I did love the repeated playing of Mozart's Requiem. Yes, I agree. I agree. That was, that did work really well. Mm-hmm. I wish we got more time with Michelle Rodriguez. Yes, I just love her. I understand, you know, not everybody feels this way, but she just has like, great butch energy that i love i could listen to her voice forever for sure i love a good deep voice so that scene i think is so interesting like the visual of these two women laying out and jane swimming through their pool and just leaving this huge trail (laughs) of blood behind her in the water i loved her getting on the floaty (laughs) me too kind of struggling to get up there and that's what that's what's so great about this movie is it's like this serious moment where she's bleeding out in the water but it's one visually stunning and also closed with something pretty funny and like so interesting yeah exactly because they're in this beautiful sunshine and this you know, lovely pool. It's just a really interesting movie. And anyways, I wish that scene was a little bit longer, but that's, you know, nitpicking. The only other thing that I would say, and I think we've already touched on this, is that if you're not somebody who's into indie art house movies, yeah, this is probably not for you. If you're looking for a more traditional horror movie, this is probably mm. not for you. This is more in line with like I don't know, an existential drama than an actual, than a, the horror movie in the way that a lot of people think about horror movies. But if you're willing to, to kind of just go with the experience, I think you can get a lot out of it. And there's a lot of really interesting stuff happening, a lot of nuanced performances and just great scenes. Like, like I was saying before, talking about challenging topics in really frank ways. Yeah, I don't, I don't have a ton of cons. I, mm-hmm. as you're talking about that, I would agree. Those were the scenes that were the hardest for me to get through and was rescued for me by the introduction of Jane. Yes. Um, And so I kind of had forgotten a little bit about how those early scenes were challenging. The only other real con I had was the issue. I had some issues with the sound level. And I don't know if that's the screener that we had. Did you have this experience as well? Yeah. So I wasn't sure either because there were certain parts where it was so loud that I had to turn it down, but other Mm -hmm. parts where I literally couldn't hear the dialogue without turning my volume all the way up. Exactly. Like there were times, especially with the Amy character, where I could not hear what they were saying. I had trouble when they're having these sort of fugue moments and there's whispered voices. I couldn't tell you what was said. I have no idea. I couldn't hear it. But at the same time, the music would cut in like there'd be these aggressive bursts of music that were 
like hurt your ears and i don't know <laughs> if it was intentional um but either way not a fan <laughs> yeah because i i could see it being intentional like they're trying to kind of throw you off a bit in the same way that maybe the lighting did but yeah i would say they hopefully it's just an issue of the screener and that'll be fixed by the time i will say that playing it was it. something that was kind of abandoned as the movie went on the really aggressive cutting in of music yes. or cutting out of music yeah like halfway through the movie happened in the stopped. first third and I was glad to see it go. I didn't need it. <laughs> That's why I'm kind of wondering if it's like a problem with the screener that we had. But if not, it's a con. Yeah. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> All right. Overall, what like did you I think? I was saying, I, I really liked this movie. I didn't mm-hmm. expect to in the first 15 minutes. I, I wasn't sure I was going to like this movie. But the more I watched it, the more it grew on me. Um, Jane Adams is absolutely amazing in this. I just so enjoyed watching these people talk about hard topics. And that's not always easy for me. I'm, I'm often not drawn to dramas for those reasons because it brings up too many emotions that I'm looking for escape and don't want to deal with. But something about the way this was done really reeled me in. And I was glad for the experience when it was over. I agree with you. This is not for everyone. No. But I kind of feel like for fans of art house horror, this is going to be super fun because like I said, it's deconstructed horror and you can get super academic with this movie in a way that is kind of fun (laughs) if you're a horror nerd i would be much more reluctant to recommend it to people who just want to have your typical more formulaic more escapist kind of horror experience and there's nothing wrong with that i love those movies too but if you're if your taste trend toward that direction this probably is not your judge but i liked it after it was over i was like i I don't know how I feel about this, which is usually a sign that if I sit with it long enough, I tend to warm. And I think that has been the case for me throughout the day. I've been thinking about it, processing, because I knew we were going to talk about it today. And the more that I did that, the more that I was like, oh, yeah, I like that movie. That was interesting. All right. Awesome. Another fun conversation about a horror movie directed by a lady. So I guess that just leaves us with what we're going to be watching on the next episode of the More Deadly Podcast. So for those of you who are playing at home, Ariel, this is a you pick. Do you know what we're going to be watching? We are going to be watching a movie that just came out not too long ago called Relic. Ooh, this one has been on my to-watch list. Yeah, so this one's directed by Natalie Erica James. A woman links her mother's increasingly volatile behavior to an evil presence at their family's decaying country home. So I've just been hearing people talk about this. It's getting really great reviews. I've heard the words hereditary bounced around about this movie interesting some big talk (laughs) yeah and emily mortimer's in it and she's almost always awesome i love her yeah i love Um, her on 30 rock which i understand does not really apply to this (laughs) my bones (laughs) i forgot that she was on remember she's bird bones right my bones bones. (laughs) awesome well that should be if not fun really interesting (laughs) yeah and you know i I really want to see it before the year is out and this will make me do it yeah the forcing sometimes you just gotta do it (laughs) all right ariel next time relic take us out thank you guys for listening to another episode of the more deadly podcast and we'll catch you next time for relic bye bye everybody bye